0: Good morning and welcome back for the last of three sermons on the book of Habakkuk. We've called it Trusting God in Troubled Times. And today, the third chapter of Habakkuk falls on Palm Sunday, which as we've heard a lot about this morning, uh, recalls the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem to the cheers of the crowd, the long-awaited King of Israel, the Messiah, was coming to Jerusalem. And the people shouted, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of David, of our father David. And this rejoicing on Palm Sunday represents the hope of God's people for deliverance from their enemies. Yet we know the story. The day of hope and excitement and rejoicing will give way to the coming days of bewilderment and despair. Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday. And then on Easter Sunday, we who belong to Christ experience hope fulfilled finally, in a manner so shocking and so unexpected that it remains the most decisive and divisive event Of all human history. Today, we will look at how faith and hope sustained Habakkuk on his transformative journey from bewilderment and despair in chapter one to an unshakable hope and joy in God at the end of chapter three. And as we move into this chapter three, Habakkuk makes no more complaints. The answer from God in chapter 2 was sufficient. The proud are not upright, and they will surely face judgment. But the righteous will live by his faith. You may remember that chapter 2 closed with this image of the Lord in his holy temple and all the earth silent before him. Well, in chapter 3, Habakkuk gives us something appropriate for that setting. He gives us a prayer for corporate worship with instructions even for musical accompaniment, just like many of the Psalms. It's apparently meant to be sung as a response to this revelation of God's justice and of his coming judgment. It's a song that Habakkuk can sing and pray as his own, but it's clearly meant for the people of God meant for public worship, and therefore it seems fitting that we should read it and use it today in our worship. Now, I'm not going to sing it, but I will read it to you. First, let me pray. O Lord, please bless this reading of your word and this proclamation of the good news about your sufficiency for all of our needs. Amen. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers, the mountains saw you and writhed, torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high, sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath, you strode through the earth, and in anger, you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. The word of the Lord. So verse 2 begins with Habakkuk's acknowledgement that God is holy, powerful, and awesome. The Hebrew is literally, O Yahweh, I have heard your report. I feared, O Yahweh, your wondrous work. And then he makes his only requests in this long prayer. That God would reveal himself again through his works of justice and judgment among the nations, and that he would in wrath remember mercy. This language of holy and reverent fear indicates a posture of submission and a profound change of attitude. Gone are the feisty, even defiant complaints about God's inattention and God's inactivity. Habakkuk has wrestled with God, and God has moved his heart from protest to praise. So having heard God's voice and seen God's glory, in the main section of this, verses 3 through 15, he remembers and celebrates God's awesome splendor and power as he comes to judge the wicked and to deliver his people. This poetic vision recalls imagery from God's former works of salvation and remembers how the Lord moves to save his people. The symbolism in the first section, verses 3 through 7, reveals God's nature. He's powerful and glorious like the sun. He's fearsome and lethal as plague and pestilence. Enormous and mighty enough to crush mountains with his feet. And then the the second part describes an exodus-like march of judgment against the nations. And of deliverance for God's people. Habakkuk looks back at God's past faithfulness to motivate hope for the future. Verse 13, you came out to deliver your people. To save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. It follows perfectly from the woes and from the themes of chapter 2. And it addresses questions from as far back as the first parts of chapter 1. It turns out God is listening. It turns out that God is saving. And that he will not tolerate wrongdoing forever. And justice will not ultimately be perverted. So what's the message to Judah in this description of God? The Lord is the one to fear. Far above the Babylonians. But verse 16 also acknowledges that there will be much suffering on the way to justice. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered. At the sound, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Habakkuk recognizes that the righteous will live by faith through the judgment that is coming. The judgment that's coming on Judah and on the nations. The righteous will not escape devastation, but they will somehow be preserved and cared for by the Lord. There's a remarkable resolution and reversal that occurs at the end of verse 16. You remember how Habakkuk was horrified in chapter 1 when the Lord revealed he would use the Babylonians to carry out his plan to bring judgment on Judah. Well, apparently he has a new perspective on God's way because in verse 16 he says he will wait quietly for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. That Hebrew word for waiting, waiting quietly, carries the idea of resting even more than waiting. What a transformation from the agitated, protesting prophet to the calm and quiet soul who rests and waits in the midst of terror because he rests in God in the security of his God. And verses 19, or 17 through 19 carry this sentiment forward in some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. Hear these again. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Habakkuk is transformed. Even if there's a total devastation, even if there's no restoration, even if the whole of creation is turned upside down and my life is threatened. I will not be moved from rejoicing in God, my salvation, in God, my Savior, my strength. Habakkuk met God in his struggles. And that moved him from despair and bewilderment to hope and joy. This confession of trust by the prophet comes right out of God's revelation that the just shall live by faith. Put everything in God's hands, no matter what the circumstances, and entrust your life to Him. That's what it is to live by faith. I can think of no better expression of the life that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 5 7 when he says, We live by faith, not by sight. So, how did Habakkuk get to that place? And how can we move closer to the place where we can say with integrity and with honesty, no matter what happens, I will rejoice in God my Savior. See, I believe that Habakkuk was transformed by wrestling and struggling with God in the context of both faith and hope. We've talked a lot about the role of faith. You might remember a key point from the first chapter that God welcomes honest and desperate questions. To ask them is to exercise faith in God. And in chapter 2, we focused on verse 4, the just shall live by faith, which is to say that the righteous person fundamentally relies on God rather than on himself. And I think until this week, as I studied this passage, I had overlooked the role of hope in this process. But Habakkuk never gave up hoping for an answer. Hope is the combination of desire and expectant waiting. It anticipates a future that's better than the present. Hope carries you through troubled times because you desire and expect something better on the horizon. Even when the circumstances look bleak. To be honest, though, we often get stuck in our troubled times, don't we? You see, repeated disappointments, agonizing, unmet desires, longings, loss and trauma and loneliness and pain break us down. They lead us into hopelessness. Not one of us in this room lives without major disappointments. And when disappointments pile up, we often feel that anger and resentment, doubt and hopelessness. Hope can be painful. So to ease the pain, we sometimes try to extinguish the desire to numb our hearts. I'm done wanting that good thing. Or we try to extinguish our expectation for good from God. God. I'm just being realistic. The world's a broken place. Habakkuk didn't get stuck in either of these traps. He faced despair and hopelessness. And he was clearly frustrated and disappointed with God. God had not answered his prayers. But he remembered that God had met the needs of his people in the past. And by faith, he knew God well enough to know that his desire for justice and righteousness in Judah were upright, and that they conformed to the character of God. So like the persistent widow of Luke 18 seeking justice from the unjust judge, she persisted in, or he persisted in his badgering of God. Who knows how long his prayers went answered? Went unanswered, But Habakkuk never extinguished his desire for justice. And he never extinguished his expectant waiting for good from God. And that's why he could continue to wrestle with God. Because hope for an answer and a better future drove him. Indeed, if we're not wrestling with God, we're not actually living with hope. Because hope is always about unfulfilled desire, things we're waiting for. And unfulfilled desire drives you to God. Because he's the only one who can fulfill your desires, or change you, or change your circumstances. I'm saying to you that it's both normal and right to struggle with God over your hopes. Good things happen in our relationship with God when we engage with him that way. As Habakkuk wrestled with God in his complaints and in his prayers, God eventually met him and opened him up to the wonder of his ways. The struggle created space inside Habakkuk for a deeper and a more robust faith and a more robust hope. That's what we see in the beautiful ending of this book. When God revealed himself more fully, the prophet was ready and able to see the aspects of the glory and holiness of the Lord that he could not have seen before. The joy that follows that kind of suffering and wrestling is a hard-won joy. It's a sure-footed joy that can take you to a mountaintop. Habakkuk learned that his hope was not just in God's deliverance, but in God himself. The essence of rescue was not in receiving what he had asked for. He didn't receive that. But in experiencing the response of God to the cry of his heart. He learned in a deeply personal and profound way that God is enough in himself to meet the needs of the human heart. And that is good news. This journey toward the settled faith and hope and joy of Habakkuk 3 is a personal one for me. My father lies dying at home this morning. And my family of origin suffers from broken relationships in a way that makes it difficult for us to even cooperate in his care. Let alone comfort one another in this troubled time. The only thing that keeps me from disintegrating is this God's faithfulness. Combined with my faith and my hope that God will somehow make something good out of this mess. I'm learning from Habakkuk to turn to God with my disappointment, with my bewilderment and my despair. I'm learning to live by faith as I struggle with God over my questions about why he doesn't fix things. And I'm learning to live with hope despite the circumstances without sinking into the cynicism about God or or killing my desire for good things. I'm trying to restore hope by remembering God's faithfulness in the past. One day, we who belong to Jesus Christ will enter the glorious fullness of the resurrection life, signified by the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. But there is much pain and sorrow to endure before we get there. And I believe that Jesus himself is all that you and I need for life. I believe that we can live by faith in the tension of engagement with the sorrow of this world, and the hope of a better future. May God help us this week to trust him, to hope in him, and whatever our circumstances, to rejoice in our Lord along the way, and to take joy in God our Savior day by day. Will you pray with me? I'm going to pray a prayer out of 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise be to you, our God and Father, and to our Lord Jesus Christ. In your great mercy, you have given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, This inheritance is kept in heaven for us. We who through faith are shielded by your power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last days. In this we greatly rejoice, Lord. Though now for a little while we may have to suffer grief and many kinds of trials. Lord, meet us in our struggles, I pray.